Uh, we're going to be mostly looking at Psalm 13, which uh, is there printed on your new sheet, so it would be great if you can be following along there and um, maybe making some notes if you would like. Well, today we're thinking about navigating brokenness. What do I mean by brokenness? Uh, I'm talking about an overwhelming disappointment uh, that affects people psychologically, physically or spiritually. So I think we're thinking fairly broadly. That's what I want to think about. It could look like a lot of things. Uh, It might impact your life deeply with significant symptoms, depression, a mental breakdown, suicidal thoughts, uh, or perhaps deep emotional scars that last for years that block you functioning normally in life. Or maybe your brokenness is less obvious. It, It may just be a lingering sadness, a cynicism about life, or maybe just a weariness with the world. Brokenness is a response to the fact that the world is broken. Uh, The world is broken, and and I think broken people uh, experience the brokenness of the world more than the rest of us. Uh, Brokenness may be caused by something, uh, the loss of something that you value, a job, a relationship. Uh, It may be the result of experiencing significant trauma, like a disaster or an illness. Uh, It may be the result of feeling the crushing weight of expectation or demands from others. Uh, Perhaps it's not caused by one major thing, but by the accumulation of dozens of small knocks or pressures over years. Uh, Brokenness is what Job experiences in Job chapter 3. In chapters 1 and 2 of Job, perhaps you know the story, uh, Satan destroys his life. (laughs) His herds were stolen or burned up. His servants and then his children are murdered or killed in tragic accidents. And then Job himself suffers painful boils on every part of his skin from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then in chapter 3 of Job, he responds. Life has broken him. He wishes he, could, he had never been born, verse 11. He says it in verse 11, why did, I not, not, why did I not perish at birth? For now I'd be lying down in peace. Or in verse 20, he says, Why is light given to those in misery? Why is life? given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come. And then verse 24, he describes how life has made him feel. For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. He's experiencing physical and emotional symptoms. Fatigue, weariness, grief. Psychologically, he's feeling anxious and hopeless that there are feeling there are no options in his future. I think Job is a prime example of someone who has been broken by life. 
I think we see it too from, uh, we see this same experience from King David in, in Psalm 13. Have a look at it. Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2. David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Uh, We don't know specifically what has happened in his life. Uh, There's an enemy of some sort who's causing him grief. It might be a personal enemy. It may be a political enemy. He's anxious about it. He's uncertain. He's deeply sad. And he wants it to end. Uh, And worst of all, God seems to have abandoned him. He's known God's goodness in the past, but that link seems to be broken as well. But of course, it's not just Job or David. All of us, I think, experience the brokenness of the world to some extent. Maybe our bodies are not what they should be. Maybe it's personal relationships or life struggles in general. On the one hand, it's sort of small, personal, but all the way through to natural disasters and major world crises can make us feel broken. Uh, But this doesn't mean, I think, that we should think of ourselves only as the victims of brokenness. Now, that's certainly true. We are not just victims of brokenness, though. As as the Bible uh, describes this theme of brokenness, it begins by talking about the fundamental spiritual brokenness of everyone. Every human being is also a cause of brokenness in the world. Our world is broken because people are broken. People have chosen to ignore their creator and to live independently from him. Now that's what sin is at its core. We've chosen to ignore the one who made us, to live and to live the way he designed for us. And so we're broken. Our relationship with God is broken and then we we live that out. Genesis 1 and to describe how God made people to know him and to love him. But then, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve chose independence from God. And that decision had consequences for the whole world. Their relationship with God was broken. Their relationship with one another was broken. Their relationship with the physical world was broken. And that has been the experience of every human being since. Except for Jesus, all of us have chosen independence from God. All of us choose to live for ourselves rather than for God and for other people. All of us fail to measure up to God's call to wholeheartedly love, obey, fear and delight in him. Now what that means is that all of us have contributed to the broken world that we live in. Uh, The author David Pallinson says this, The break with God triggers a landslide, working breakage into every other area of life. We are lawbreakers. This moral breakdown is something that we each do in our own way. It is not just something that happens to us when we get in someone else's way. Which means we're not just victims of brokenness, 
we're actually part of the problem. Now, hear me carefully, I'm not saying that if you are broken, it's because of something you've done. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that as we look at the whole world, all of us contribute to the brokenness of the world. So we've seen two things so far. Our world is broken because two people are broken and our relationship with God is broken. So all of us bear some responsibility for the brokenness of our world, of others and ourselves. But three, uh, the great news of the Bible is that God invades our broken world. God invades our broken world. From Genesis chapter 3 on, God doesn't just abandon us. He begins to mend our brokenness. He promises Eve a descendant who will crush the serpent's head, who will fight against what Satan is doing in the world. And then by the end of chapter 3, he makes clothes for Adam and Eve to protect them. And that's only the end of chapter 3. And as we keep reading, he he makes a covenant with Abram to to bless him and then to make him a blessing to the world. And he begins to remake our brokenness. Abram trusts God, who builds him into a nation, Israel. And despite the guilt of Israel, God patiently forgives them and hears and answers their prayers Prayers like David's in verse 3 of Psalm 13. We'll sort of keep dipping into this psalm as we work our way through. Uh, verse 3 and 4, the psalm sort of breaks up into two, uh, three sections and we're at the second section, verse 3. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. In contrast to how he feels in verses 1 and 2, that God has hidden his face, now he's praying that God would see him and answer. And the request is, it's an interesting one. He says, give light to my eyes or enlighten my eyes. So what does it mean to enlighten his eyes? Well, from verses 2 and 4, he's talking about his enemies. So perhaps he could just mean, rescue me from my enemies. Uh, Give me a a new sort of life without them. But I wonder if it's more about requesting that God would change his perspective about his situation. About how he sees the situation. That it's a prayer for God to lift his broken spirit and and restore his his strength and his emotional energy and his outlook on life. There's actually a similar phrase in in 1 Samuel chapter 14 where where Jonathan, who's King Saul's son, eats some honey. He's been marching with his army all day and they're chasing after David and then he eats it and he's he's re-energised. He gets a sugar hit. (laughs) And he says in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 14, See how my eyes have brightened because I ate the honey. It's physical strength. It's it's a new energy to deal with uh, the difficulties of his life. If if God can do that for David, uh, brighten his eyes, 
then his attitude to his situation will change. His resolve will be strengthened. He won't be uncertain and conflicted and broken. He won't feel like he's headed for death. His enemies won't rejoice that he's fallen into despair. Now that's his request. A request from God to his, uh, from his people to God and then God answering. Uh, that's the story that is told countless times throughout the Bible. God sees and God answers. But more than that, God's not just up in heaven where he sees and answers from a distance. God enters our brokenness. God enters our brokenness. God promised through his prophets that he would send a Messiah, his servant, and he would be the one who would deliver God's plans to repair his broken world. Isaiah 61 looks forward to the coming of this servant. Uh, And the servant says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, 500 years after Isaiah prophesied about uh, this coming servant, of course, Jesus came. And Jesus announces his arrival by quoting these exact words in Luke chapter 4. And then does exactly that. He releases the demon-possessed. And he remakes people who've been broken by disease or disability, and even death. He remakes them. But he doesn't just repair brokenness. He experiences it. He experiences the worst of the human condition. Hunger, thirst, loneliness, persecution, temptation, exhaustion. And then he heads to the cross in obedience to his father. Ridicule, injustice, torture, abandonment, and then the brutal death of crucifixion. Jesus himself is broken. A few chapters earlier on in Isaiah 53, remember this is five, six hundred years before Jesus comes. It, it accurately predicts his experience around Easter on the cross. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He understands brokenness. When you're at the end of your strength, when you've given up, when you feel alone, God doesn't just see and hear He understands. So go to him confidently. Uh, Jake read these verses as well from Ephesians 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then 
approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We tend to think as life gets more difficult that we are more and more alone. We are on our own. But the truth is our pain never outstrips what Jesus shares in. We are never alone, whatever we go through. Dane Ortland uh, writes, I've quoted from this book before, a great book. Um, he says, When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what this testing feels like and sits close to us. Jesus gets it, so come to him confidently. Jesus' suffering and death, it does more than allow him to sympathise, to understand. That suffering and death repairs our broken relationship with God. He bears the punishment that we deserve so that we might receive the peace that he deserves. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, Surely he took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him uh, stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was broken for us. He carries the guilt of our sin. He is broken so we can be remade. And when we trust him, God forgives us turns his anger away and heals our broken relationship. And so we are able to come to God confident. We come confidently, not not simply because Jesus understands our brokenness. I understand brokenness, but I can't help anyone else approach God. Jesus understands our brokenness. You see... Because he also never sinned, he provides the way for us to come to God. He gets it and he prepares the way for God. Through Jesus' perfect life, lived in the midst of a broken world. So what does all that mean for you and for me? That's been a bit of theology What does it mean, especially for those of us who are experiencing brokenness? Well, firstly, God can actually use your brokenness to humble you. As Jake 
experienced. Brokenness can bring us to the end of ourselves so that we will turn to him. When we direct our brokenness to God, he promises to receive us, not reject us. In Psalm 51, the heading is a, says after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And as he thinks about what he's done and how it impacts the people around him, he knows how God wants him to deal with what he's done. In verse 16 and 17 he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. God welcomes the broken spirit that flows from a broken life. And then looks to him. And so that's what David does. Here at the end of Psalm 13, as well as in Psalm 51, you can read that one later. Here in Psalm 13, we get to the end of our psalm, the third of uh, the third section. In the midst of what David is going through in this psalm, he he says to God in verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. He's told God how he feels, verses 1 and 2. He's prayed for God's answer, verses 3 and 4, and now he trusts in God's plans. Has God delivered him from his enemies or not? I don't think it's clear. When it says there in verse 5, my heart rejoices in your salvation, rejoice, it could actually be future tense. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Now that suggests that he's still waiting for God's answer. But even if it is present tense, my heart rejoices. David could be rejoicing now while he waits for God's salvation. Verse 6, it could describe David singing because God has been good to him in the past. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. And that's what gives him the confidence to trust and rejoice in him for the present. Right now, as he's experiencing brokenness, he's going to trust God, he's going to sing anyway. You see, God may deliver us from our brokenness. He may change our situation. Or or maybe he won't. It may be something we have to carry because we live in a broken world. But if he doesn't deliver us, if we live with this, the brokenness that we're going through, there are some things that are still certain. Whatever brokenness you're going through, these, these things are certain. Uh, firstly, God is working through brokenness for good. God is working through brokenness for good. Romans 8.28 says that he's called you for a purpose. 
He's called you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And everything in your life will do that as you trust yourself into God's care. Everything works for good, including those things that have broken you. They are doing their work in you for good. The second thing that is certain, whoever else may abandon you, God will never leave you. Brokenness will never separate you from God's love. God will never leave you. Romans 8, again a few verses further on in verse 35, we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? That's the broken world, isn't it? Shall anything separate you from God's love? Verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may feel alone, but nothing will separate you from God's love. What a wonderful promise that is. And finally... Now, however long you have been enduring this brokenness, uh, the Bible promises that there is an end. There is an end to brokenness. When God makes everything new, when God undoes every wrong thing. Revelation 21, verses 3 to 5, describe that eternity, that future. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And so for all of those reasons, God enables us to rejoice in brokenness. God enables us to to join with David in Psalm 13, to, to rejoice in God's salvation, even while he waits for it. God enables us to sing to him because he has been good. There's a line in Leonard's, uh, Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, which many people think is a Christian song, but it's really not. Uh, Leonard, Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, there's a line that describes uh, singing broken hallelujahs. Broken hallelujahs. Now, now, in a sense, that's what we do. Uh, in the midst of our brokenness, uh, our questions, our pain... Our uncertainty about if and when God may remake us. In the midst of it, he calls us to trust him and to walk with him and to sing broken hallelujahs. But I trust in your unfailing love, 
My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, I guess there are a range of experiences amongst us this morning. Some of us are shrugging and not really sure what it's all about. Life's pretty good. We rejoice with them. For others, life, they feel so broken that these words perhaps are washing off them. We pray for them that your spirit will be at work bringing the truth of your word to bear comforting, strengthening, giving hope. For others of us, Lord, we, we want to help uh, our friends and those who are feeling this way. We, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and compassion. Uh, give us some of the empathy, the sympathy of Jesus uh, who understands. Uh, and we rejoice in him and we rejoice in you. Amen.